the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now we're at chapter 5, and chapter 5 denotes a significant change in the tenor of the gospel because it's here that the rejection of Jesus is inaugurated and continues to grow throughout the gospel. Have you ever walked your way through the book of John, verse by verse? Well, that's exactly what Pastor Leighton Sheely has been doing and is going to continue doing here on this broadcast, a daily visit from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. As he just said, we're moving into the fifth chapter today. If you've missed any of the past broadcasts, you can find them on our website at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. Details about the church are there as well, Church of the Highlands. That's highlands.us. Open your Bible. And follow along as we start the fifth chapter of the book of John. Now, not only does this gospel describe Jesus' ministry in terms of progressive expansions to people groups, but also in terms of progressive expansions in leaps of faith. Now, I say that, this is what I mean. The first converts, Andrew and John, needed only to be introduced to Jesus for them to follow Jesus. They were disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist pointed Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And that's all it took for uh, Andrew and John to, to, to follow Jesus. But uh, the woman at the well in Samaria, that, that woman took a little time, a little talk time, before she became aware of and convinced that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And then the people in Galilee, they required even more. They required Jesus to perform some kind of miracle before they would put their faith in him. Now we're at chapter 5. And chapter 5 denotes a significant change in the tenor of the gospel because it's here that the rejection of Jesus is inaugurated and continues to grow throughout the gospel. Now, Jesus' ministry created quite a sensation. You can well imagine. He performed miracles like none that had ever been performed before. And he oftentimes chose to do miracles that relieved people of suffering. He he healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out demons, and fed large crowds of people. And his teaching was unlike the teaching of anyone else as well. He spoke as one having authority. He was God. He was speaking his own word. The other uh, scribes and other teachers primarily quoted other uh, human uh, authorities. But Jesus spoke with authority, and the people were astounded at his teaching. And as it well might be expected, people were attracted to Jesus in large numbers. Matthew 4.25 reports that large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from, beyond, from far beyond the Jordan. And then after the Sermon on the Mount, it says when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. On one occasion, he had to get into the boat in order to be able to preach to the crowds because the crowds were crowding around him so much. And Luke chapter 12 tells us that there was a time where there were so many thousands of people pressing in on Jesus, they were stepping on one another. So there was a lot of people who were attracted to Jesus initially. And unfortunately, most of those people uh, were just curiosity seekers. Uh, they, were to, they were there to see Jesus because of the entertainment value or the fact they might get a free lunch. They, was there, they were there for their own personal benefits. They weren't there 
to receive him and accept him as their Lord. They wanted a free food program and they wanted the entertainment. And the religious leaders, they saw Jesus' competition. They rejected his claim of being Messiah. And, and so they tried to create all kinds of problems for Jesus. They stirred up lies, campaign of lies. They, they made accusations against him. They claimed that he was a demon-possessed Samaritan, that he was the product of an illegitimate birth, that he got his miraculous powers from Satan. They rejected him and ultimately they rejected him by saying crucify him, which led him to the cross. And at that time, the number of true disciples, true believers in Jesus was very, very smaller. There's 120 that were told about in Jerusalem and there might have been 500 probably in Galilee. So here in chapter 5 of John is the first example of the emergence of a hostility. And it, it was uh, foreshadowed in the prologue. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Jesus was Jewish. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Now, the Jewish people were hostile to him because of their hypocritical legalism and also concerning the misconceptions they had about the Messiah. They expected the Messiah was going to come. He was going to be a political leader. He was going to be a, a religious leader. He was going to be an economic leader. He was going to be a military leader. He was going to throw off the yoke of Rome. And Jesus wouldn't meet their expectations. Jesus had a different agenda altogether. And because of that, they rejected him. Let's look at verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, after this, or after these things, uh, indicates uh, that some unspecified time uh, took place. And and, and in the Gospel of John, we only have one event recorded for us, and that is the healing of the royal official's son. But in the other Gospels, uh, there were more events that are recorded for us, such as uh, a preaching tour that Jesus was on, and several healings, including a demon-possessed man, uh, Peter's mother-in-law being healed, a leopard, a paralytic. In fact, Luke chapters 4 through 9 relates to Jesus' Galilean ministry, as does Mark chapters 1 through 9. So, in general, the other Gospels tended to focus on Jesus' ministry in Galilee, while the Gospel of John tends to focus on Jesus' ministry in Judea. Remember that Galilee is in the northern end of Palestine, Judea is in the southern end of Palestine, and Samaria, where the Samaritans are, was between. Now, there were three Jewish feasts at which all uh, male Jewish people, uh, Jewish men, who lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem were required to attend. Uh, They were the Passover, the Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, six times in this gospel, the author refers to a feast and identifies it. This is the only one he doesn't identify specifically. And uh, it's probably because that was irrelevant to what he was trying to accomplish here. He just wanted to explain why Jesus was in Jerusalem at this time. Verse 2, Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now remember that the writer of this gospel is writing not only to a Jewish audience, but also to a Gentile audience. They had no knowledge of Jesus. They had no knowledge of the Messiah. They had no knowledge of Jerusalem and, and so forth. That's why he chose to use the word lagos, because the Jews could understand the meaning of that word, and the Gentiles could also understand the meaning of that word as well. And so for people who were unfamiliar with the city, he's describing this location. Now, you'll notice that the verb is in the present tense. There is 
There is, present tense. This gospel was written about around 85 A.D. 85 A.D. Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D., about 15 years before the writing of this gospel. And yet the author is using the present tense. Why? Well, because evidently this particular place was not destroyed or not destroyed utterly when the Romans destroyed the city. There was a 4th century pilgrim who came to Jerusalem and noted uh, the place in his journals. Now, the pool has been rediscovered. It's been excavated. It's really quite large. It's about uh, 315 feet long. It has a central partition that divides it into two sections. On each of the four sides of the, of the two sections is the uh, colonnades, as well as an additional colonnade between the two sections. Now, the Sheep Gate is not far from the temple. It was the gate through which the sheep were brought to the temple in order to be sacrificed. And Bethesda is a Greek translation or transliteration of a Hebrew or Aramaic word that means house of mercy. Now, evidently, this pool was fed by an intermittent spring, and the people there imagined that it had special powers. Uh, Some of the ancient uh, sources indicate that the color of the water was kind of reddish, which suggests it was high in mineral content. It was a mineral bath. And, you know, mineral baths are even popular today. People who have uh, suffering from medical conditions oftentimes go to a mineral bath. They've got joint issues or muscle issues. Now, if you're reading the English Standard Version, you will see that there is no verse marked verse 4. No verse marked verse 4 if you're using the English Standard Version. It's found in the King James Version. The King James Version includes the text that's missing in the English Standard Version, and it reads this, this way. Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now, again, if you're reading the English Standard Version, uh, you'll note that there's no verse marked verse 4, and, the, and also the latter portion of verse 3 is not included as well. Now, the verse designations were standardized based on the King James Version, which was, you know, created centuries ago. And the translators of the ESV chose not to include this particular portion of text because it was of doubtful authenticity. You see, there's no Greek manuscript that contains these words that was written before 400 A.D. The oldest manuscripts don't have the latter portion of verse 3 and verse 4. Now, there are some other things that that the, the reason the scholars chose not to include it. In spite of its brevity, it's only a little more than a verse long. There are over a half a dozen words or phrases that are foreign to the writings of John, the Apostle John. Uh, they're not found anywhere in John's writing. And so the thought of the scholars is that this was a parenthetical note. It was a, a, a note, an annotation that the scholars put out at the side in the margin to explain why the people came to the spring. And that somehow over the course of time that those Marginal notes migrated into the text, and that's how we got it. Now, the point is this. The point is that the Bible does not teach that an angel actually came down and stirred 
the waters of that pool from time to time and healed the first person that got in. That's not what it's, the Bible is teaching. It's the Bible is teaching that this, that this was a superstition of the people of that time who were around that pool. William Barclay wrote, To us this is mere superstition, but it was the kind of belief which was spread all over the world in ancient days and which still exists today in certain places. People believed in all kinds of spirits and demons. The air was thick with them. They had their abodes in certain places. Every tree, every river, every stream, every hill, every pool had its resident spirit. Well, a bit of an awkward point at which to uh, stop our broadcast today. There's a bit more of that quote from William Barclay, and we'll feature it tomorrow on the broadcast. I hope you can join us then. This is Study Verse by Verse, an outreach of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. Our teacher is Pastor Leighton Sheely, and the website for the church is highlands.us. That's highlands.us. If you're looking for a church home, please come and visit. Highlands.us will give you all of the details about the ministries available, directions to the campus, and of course the service times. That's Highlands.us. I'm Mike Trout. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back at this same time tomorrow as we open the Word of God to the book of John and continue to study verse by verse. This program is sponsored by Church of the Highlands in San Bruno.